TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to this edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. If you are live streaming, we are going early today. It is a Tuesday, which means we've got the Mike Houston press conference coming up at 1130. So we got to get over there. And of course, our normal start time is at 12 noon. This is airing on the radio at 12 noon and through the IBX media app at 12 noon as well. But we are live on YouTube, live on Facebook, live on Twitter slash X as we speak. And uh, we're going to have a, a lot of fun on today's program. We've got Luke Creasy coming up. He is the Marshall beat writer for the Herald Dispatch in Huntington, West Virginia. We'll get the latest on Marshall as they roll into town. We also got Philip Pilkington producing behind the glass. And we've got Joseph Joey Football Sampson in studio. And Joe, uh, welcome back. I, I guess the plan right now is to make this Tuesday morning show a regular thing. So thanks for uh, rejoining us. Glad to still be around. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> hey, we finally have some games to react to. And for ECU, unfortunately, it was a 30-3 to loss. And I, I've given kind of my take. Philip has as well. Let's get just your brief, uh, brief take on ECU's season-opening game at Michigan. You know, it looked like they were trying too hard to be – playing Michigan's game and it kind of looked like they got out of what they do well and what they've done well the last few years which is outside zone inside zone and and they tried to go a little more gap in this power scheme against these bigger guys and it didn't seem to work out the D-line looked great the secondary still has some question marks and we'll see if that gets answered against a more pass heavy team like Marshall who had 237 this past weekend with their quarterback who throws the ball a bit more than Michigan but just kind of looked like they were playing somebody else's game instead of ECU's brand of football. I'm glad you mentioned the different run schemes because we'll get into the weeds a little bit later. Pro football focus according to their numbers there was actually more gap runs than zone mm-hmm. runs so which is a major contrast from last year so uh, but but overall look I think we we had realistic expectations going in. We all picked Michigan yeah. to win pretty handedly. Uh, that may have been the only game we picked correctly versus uh, the spread. <laughs> I think uh, we'll get into that discussion a little bit. Uh, I know I went one and four with ECU being the only game I got right. Uh, Philip Pilkington's Duke Blue Devils, uh, if he's if he's willing to claim them, uh, you know just crushed uh, Clemson last night, which is a surprise. Uh, We'll talk about that in a little bit. We're going to catch up with Luke Creasy here in a minute, who covers Marshall. But from an offensive perspective, I'm not going to lie, I had pretty low, limited expectations, and that's Mm -hmm. not a knock on the guys. It was just the opponent, the atmosphere, the inexperience. And I thought, I honestly thought they would put up more points, but I was concerned of them getting shut out. And uh, luckily they avoided that with the last second kick to, to hold up my lock of the week. Thanks, uh, Anson Belt and Buckle. But uh, it was a struggle offensively. The problem is you're facing this team that has all these things surrounding it and all their version of rat poison with the Harbaugh stuff and with their offensive coordinator being out and all this talk of them being perennial CFP kind of guys. And they handled business. And it looked like those first two drives, and we'll get into this later, they tried to be as vanilla as possible and just kind of play their game and see if ECU would bite on it, and they didn't. And then they had to start getting creative with some McCarthy stuff, and he made a couple great plays, including one where he was past the line. 
He was way past the line. So I'll let that sink into the refs who've now overturned the Jack Powers uh, targeting call as well. So we'll see how they grade it out with PFF. Probably not well. I'm going to say 0.1 is what the grade I give them. Michigan didn't look like Michigan until probably the second quarter. I mean, they were backed up. They looked lackluster with the ball. And then all of a sudden, McCarthy kind of got them back into the game, which is weird to say when they win by as much as they do. We'll, we'll talk more about the poor officiating, and we'll talk more about the Michigan game, and, and also we'll get Joe's take on Marshall in a little bit. Let's welcome in our guest for today's program. He is the Marshall beat writer for the Herald-Dispatch. He's Luke Creasy. Luke, we finally got some games to react to here in Greenville. We're talking about ECU's 33 loss to Michigan and in Huntington. You guys are talking about a pretty narrow win over Albany, so... Uh, yep. Walk us through that one, kind of broad view, if you would. Just how surprising was it that Albany hung around? And, and Marshall is 1-0 at the end of the day. That's the most important thing. But I'm sure they're, they're looking to play better this week. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of different things to, to take away from that contest. One, um, you know, just look at the fact that Albany played a week zero game. And uh, I think that was a big talking point for Huff um, coming into the week was, you know, they kind of know who they are, know what works, know what doesn't, know what to uh, – you know, know their strong points coming in, and they use those to their advantage. I mean, their quarterback um, is one of the better ones that that I think Marshall will go against um, this year. A, tra- a transfer from Old Dominion a couple years ago after he redshirted there and threw for almost three thousand yards last year. Um, so, and, and he was a true dual threat, and they had trouble. Um, you know, I, you look at the stat sheet and they come away with seven sacks. And you're like, okay, well, the defense dominated that game. Well. Um, there were times when, when Reese Poffenberger was able to slip out of there and give the defense trouble. And I, I think that, um, you know, that kind of played to Albany's advantage early. Uh, Marshall, uh, struggled early on, couldn't get out of their own way. Um, you know, Rasheen Ali busts off a 73 yard touchdown on the first play from scrimmage that's called back for a holding and they never sniffed the end zone the rest of the, the rest of the first half, really. Um, you know, couldn't get into a rhythm offensively, turn the ball over on down, deep in the red zone. Um, and just, you know, until the, the offense kind of woke up, uh, uh, once they were down 10 in the second half, there was really nothing, um, nothing going for that offensive group. And, uh, it, it was kind of a, a reverse of what happened at times last year when, when the defense would, would come up with big plays to keep the offense in the games and give them a chance. Well, the offense was coming up with plays and continuing drives eventually in the third quarter that, uh, you know, that were kind of backing up the defense's inability to get stops. So I think a lot of different things to, you know, to look at, you know, when you look at what went right and what went wrong. But um, like I said, at the end of the day, um, it's better to learn from, from a game like that when you come out on the winning side of it. Um, but, but I liked what I saw from Rasheen Ali. Um, I liked what I saw as far as uh, the defensive line being able to create pressure up front, and I think those are, are good things to build on um, you know, going forward. We've got Luke Creasy on the live line with us. We're previewing ECU and Marshall. He covers Marshall for the Herald-Dispatch. And, and Luke, when you look at this uh, this Marshall team, and obviously Cam Flancher, the, the quarterback, uh, had a pretty solid day and a good finish to last year. Do you yeah. feel like he's – you know, it was it was a he met expectations for the opener. Or does he need to play better for Marshall to kind of you know compete for a Sun Belt title and get to where they want to go? I, I think he did just about everything he was asked to do. Now, 
Now, if you ask the fan base, you're going to get an entirely different answer um, because th- th- they're going to identify a couple throws. Um, you know, they didn't throw downfield much at all. Um, everything was, I think he was 10 for 10 on passes behind the line of scrimmage. A lot of screen plays um, that, that Marshall brought out against Albany. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, he only had seven incompletions. Uh, one of those was an interception on a bad throw. I can re- recount a couple. There was one bad drop on the first drive. Um, you know, there were a couple balls that were overthrown. But, I mean, still three for 268 yards in the score. And uh, then, um, you know, it wasn't much of a factor in the run game, which uh, I think is different from what we saw last year. Um, he only had 16 rushing yards, and that might be the lowest um, in any of his eight starts, um, you know, so far at Marshall. But, um, you know, I, I think that the game plan was very, very safe for Camp Fancher. And, um, you know, they wanted to, to kind of build that confidence early, and I think they did a good job of that. Um, but, uh, I, I, I think only twice they threw the ball more than 20 yards downfield and once was an interception and once was an incompletion that was borderline pass interference. But, um, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I think overall, um, a solid first game and, um, you know, he, he didn't do anything to lose the game. And that's, I, I think, uh, the most important thing. Luke, Joey Football here. Question for you. Obviously, Marshall's offensive line looked good in the second half. I mean, Ollie had those mm-hmm. yards and great carries. Trent Holler transitioned from playing a lot of guard last year now to center. He's a former ECU Pirate. Can you kind of give the Pirate fans at home just your take on how he's kind of adjusted into the Marshall offense? Yeah, I, I think um, you know that shift kind of put him back into a natural position. Um, not that he was totally uncomfortable playing out of position last year, but the center last year was Logan Osborne. Um, They've kind of flipped spots, and and I think it's just a way better fit for both of them. Um, You know, Logan, um, you know, a a natural guard, um, and Trent, I think, probably more of a natural center. So, um, you know, his role has uh, has been great for this this team. I mean, he's one of the better personalities in, in the offensive line room. I know I've enjoyed... Uh, talking to him and getting to know him um, since he transferred from ECU, and uh, you know th- th- this will be his uh, his first go round against his uh, former opponent or, mm-hmm. or former teammate. So um, you know I-, I-, I think he's fit in really well, and, and that group just played well as a whole once they kind of got their bearings under him. And uh, you know they they had to deal with with two pretty good edge rushers um, last week um, for Albany and. Um, so I, I think they did a good job once they settled in. And uh, Rasheen Ali can make things look easy uh, for those guys up front. He had much space to, to get shifty and, and create some space of his own and, and break a tackle. So, um, you know, I, I, I think he's fitting in really well and uh, you know, should be a big factor up front. Yeah, we we still remember him running all over East Carolina yeah. in twenty one. He was uh, impressive, uh, and uh-huh. I'm, I'm sure ECU fans uh, are not looking forward to seeing him and Daddy Ficklin. <laughs> and Luke, we had the the coaching show with Mike Houston last night on the radio, and in you know he kind of he felt like Marshall was being pretty vanilla early. You know, you look at the upcoming schedule. Obviously, East Carolina, Virginia Tech, uh, ODU, NC State coming up. So. How much do you feel like that was a factor in the first half, and maybe in the second half they were like, "All right, we got we got to find a way to win this game," and maybe you know flipped it around, and started to do some different things. Yeah, I, I mean, when you look at again, I mentioned you know I think ten throws behind the line of scrimmage, um, and the formations didn't look too different from 
you know, from one another once they started going. Um, you know, it, it, I think it was a pretty basic game plan. I think that's safe to say. Um, and, you know, I, I know that they have um, some speed at wide receiver to be able to stretch the field. Um, now, whether they're comfortable doing that with Cam Fancher quarterback or not, um, I think that's what remains to be seen. I don't think there were too many times last year when you saw a Fancher being comfortable throwing downfield, but there seems to be a confidence around Cam that, that I don't think that's out of the question and wouldn't be surprised to see him take a couple deep shots. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think for the most part, you know, they're kind of leaning into what they're able to do in, in, in blocking schemes. I mean, they've got nine tight ends on this roster. Um, and a couple of those are good blocking tight ends. And, um, you know, and the offensive line can do what they do. And the receivers really buy into, you know, to, to the blocking aspect of their game as well. So I, I think, you know, their bread and butter might still be that, you know, uh, give the ball to Rashid Ali and, you know, make a move outside and see what he can do on the edge or, or throw a screen pass and let your wide receivers do some blocking for you in those, you know, second and long, third and long situations. So, yeah, I, I, I think uh, vanilla might be a safe word um, and a safe description of that. But, um, you know, I, I don't see too many wrinkles coming up uh, from what Marshall showed um, just because, you know, a lot of what they did against Albany was a lot of what they had success with last year. So, um, you know, but Rasheen Ali does change that dynamic some in the backfield. Um, I think uh, Charles Huff used the word catastrophic when he talked about what that injury did to their offensive game plan last year, losing Rasheen Ali before the season started. So, uh, you know, it, it might look a little bit different, a little bit more dynamic getting him involved in the run game because he's a pass catcher too. Like, Michaela in the Bourne last year, who ran for 1,500 yards, wasn't really a factor in the pass game. Rasheen Ali can do both, and I think that changes the approach some. Defensively, new coordinator comes in, Luke, and they, it seemed like it was a solid showing defensively. I know they also were working in some new guys, some new transfers. They got some returning pieces as well. So how do you feel like the defense performed week one for the Thunder and Herd? Uh, I, feel, I feel like they did well. Um, you know, I, I think there was there was a little bit of uh, angst going into that game, uh, you know, just uh, from, from a uh, preparation standpoint, like, uh, you know, because it was a different coordinator. Um, you know, Jason Seymour uh, kind of comes from the same line of thought as Lance Gidry did, but um, I mean, th- there were quite a few uh, guys that um, you know had hefty experience that, that left the program after last year, be it transfer portal or graduation. So, but you know, I, I think as long as you've got that pressure up front that starts with uh, Owen Porter and um, you know Tyquez Legs had a really good game there on the defensive line as well, and that secondary. Um, is sneaky good. Uh, I mean, I know they lost, um, a, a, you know, a guy named Stephen Gilmore, who uh, happens to be on the 53 man roster for the Detroit Lions right now. Um, you know, but they added JJ Roberts. They added Josh Moten from Texas A&M. They added, um, you know, a couple other pieces there in in the secondary, and have a couple that were in the system last year that, that, that kind of know their bearings and, you know, have their feet under them now. A guy like Jacoby Henderson who made a couple big plays, Dayton Smith. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, overall the, the defense is right there with last year's group. I mean, completely different, um, you know, personnel in, in some of those areas. Um, but, but they might be a step faster than they were as an overall defense last year, which I, which I didn't think was possible because I thought they played pretty fast on that side of the ball. 
Um, but uh, they're playing free, and, and when they get uh, when they get some confidence and, and kind of get uh, that chemistry together, which I think is is a lot of what caused them problems. You know, trying to get to know know how each other plays uh, beside one another. Um, and so I think that created some issues last week, but uh, I, I don't foresee that um, doing you know, you know carrying too far into the season. I mean, you know, they only gave up. Um, I mean, they gave up 300 yards of offense, uh, but a lot of that came in the first half uh, against Albany when they couldn't get couldn't get the stops they needed. So, I, you know, I, I I like what I see out of the defensive group as a whole, um, but definitely uh, need to take a step forward. Um, you know, as they go throughout the year. Luke Joey Football again. I'm a former tight end, so I got to talk about the tight end takeover that is going on currently in Marshall. Yeah. Okay. You've got nine on the roster. Are those kind of some overglorified fullbacks? Are those true split out kind of threats? What what really is the takeaway between that room? Yeah, I, I think there there are a couple um, true split out threats, and uh, I think uh, one of them, um, Cade Conley, who transferred from uh, Central Michigan. Um, he kind of took on a way bigger role than he expected to in the opening game because they lost Toby Payne to an injury um, a couple weeks ago in practice. Coach said he got twisted up. Um, wouldn't really clarify beyond that, but um, Payne might be able to go against CCU, but uh, I wouldn't expect it. I, I wasn't overly confident in, in Huff's answer, so I would expect to see some of Cade Conley. And, and then behind him, you, you've got uh, guys that um, are, are just, I don't know that they're big pass catchers, but um, you know they're they're blocking tight ends. Um, some of them do have the ability to split out, but not as much as as Payne or Conley would. Um, but the uh, the blocking tight end um, Marshall has had success with uh, in the past. I think of a guy like Stacy Marshall Jr., who transferred from Arizona last year and, and had only caught one pass in his collegiate career. Um, caught one pass, I think it was in the Myrtle Beach Bowl last year. But outside of that, it was just a really big piece of the blocking scheme. And I think that's kind of what they're using those tight ends for. Um, you know, they're going to go 11, 12 personnel. Um, I don't foresee them ever going uh, in 10 personnel without a tight end. Um, they're just because they like them so much and, and, and they can, you know, uh, play a part in the, in the screen uh, passing, passing game and that kind of thing. But uh, definitely. You know, when they kept adding tight ends, you know, you're starting to think, like, all right, what are they doing here? Um, you know, I kind of half expected a couple of them to transition um, to either offensive line or defensive line. I know a guy like Luke Soto was transferred from, from UTEP. Uh, he played defensive line in high school, and I kind of thought that we might see some of that, but they're all still listed as tight ends. And um, I don't think they're going to rotate five and six in the game. I think you'll see a max of of maybe two or three different ones. Um, and I think that's kind of what, uh, what happened against Albany. But, uh, you know, I, it, it's, you know, I asked Kate, um, after that game, I was like, have you ever been in, in on a team with, with eight other tight ends? Um, it's like, I think it happened at central Michigan actually, but, um, you know, I, and I haven't, uh, you know, gone back to look to see if that's true or not, but, um, it, it's definitely different. Um, you know, you don't usually see that many stacked up at that position. I guess they're just hoarding uh, tight ends over there. I don't know. It's Central Michigan and <laughs> Marshall. So. But, uh, hey, Luke, so. we appreciate the uh, the time, man. ECU Marshall, 4 o'clock on Saturday. It'll be the latest installment in this, this great, awesome rivalry. And uh, appreciate your time. And I'm sure we'll be in touch uh, leading up to the game. But thanks for everything. 
Yep, sounds good, and I will see you guys down there in Greenville this weekend. Sounds good, Luke. We'll see you in the, the Town Bank Tower, the new press box. All right, that is Luke Creasy. Let's get our first break in. We'll come back. We'll continue some Marshall talk with Joe and Philip. We'll also recap how bad we are at picking uh, college football games against the spread. And we will uh, also talk ECU Michigan. we got to dive more into that and crappy officiating because that's always the storyline, it seems like, with uh, ECU Athletics. All right, we'll be back. Hoist the Colors, 94-3 the game. Hey, what's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. We're back uh, here on Hoist the Colors. Talking talking ball, talking X's and O's. Always. Joey Football, Joe Sampson. It's a Joey Football Tuesday. Philip Pilkington is uh, behind the glass as well. We are live on Facebook and YouTube taking your questions. We got a question from Chris Melvin. He says, do you know why Marlon Gunn didn't play more on Saturday? So uh, maybe the better question is why didn't he get as many touches? Right. Uh, he had 18 snaps, which uh, is pretty even with the other backs. Rajay Harris had 23. Javius Bond had 17. Gerald Green had five. There were a couple two-back sets, but you can't play them all, all the snaps. So, But you should. So four running backs at once? Always. Yeah? Yeah. you got to have a running back room by committee. And I know that sounds Oh, I thought you meant on the same Yeah, I thought way. we were no. saying some well, 40 personnel, baby. Now we're getting exciting. I thought he was going to like say we need to go uh, no, most, 40 personnel with some we, we tight ends. Could, we could go 30, two fullbacks, quarterback under center, running back, and true eye. We, we could go 30 personnel. I don't know if we can get 40 unless somebody splits out wide. Hey, man, um, Bond proved that he could line up in the slot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Put him in the slot. Put him on the line. You don't yeah. have a true Z on the field. You know what? I like the way you're thinking. So we put Marlon Gunn at fullback. We'll put Bond out split wide at H. Gerald Green can be like the eye back you had back in old school, like 1940s football. And then Rajay's like eight yards behind all that in a true eye. Exactly. I mean, and then I, just let's gap. And uh, it would have worked. It would have worked well versus Michigan because they were stopping the run. So. <laughs> So so non easily, uh, but no. I mean, so here's the thing with Marlon Gunn. He again had large snaps, only five rushing attempts for 16 mm. yards. It just wasn't going to be a good running day with that defensive front. And mm-hmm. and for me, my true evaluation of this offensive line, this running game starts this Saturday. How about you? Yeah, I, I think, and you kind of don't want to use the term "throw away the tape," but you got to bury the tape. This is a completely different game. And as far as your planning, as far as what you wanted to do, as far as what you can do offensively, you can't judge ECU's offense. You can't judge ECU's game planning or anything off of this because you're facing like a giant on their home turf. This was a David versus Goliath situation, and unfortunately for them, it didn't pan out the way it did for David. But this is a different team when they're at home. This is a different team when they have a chance to kind of play an opponent they've seen more of, and that's what Marshall will be. Uh, Chris follows up. He says, didn't know if Marlon was hurt or not, so glad everything seems good. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, no, 18, 18 total snaps, I think it was, PFF had him at. Yeah, he's good. Uh, and, and, you know, I've heard a lot of talk, hey, Rajay didn't look, you know, as explosive or whatever, and, you know, why is Rajay the number one back? And we were talking about it coming back from break. He, he's an every down back. He, he pass protects. He can catch the ball. You know, you look at his overall numbers, he's pretty consistently the highest-graded running back because he can do it in every phase. And I get people get caught mm-hmm. up, Joe, in the, hey, he's carrying the ball for this amount of yardage. He's making this many, you know, big runs. He's making this many guys miss. And I still think Rajay can improve as a runner for sure. But, you know, he, he just – he's dependable. 
The yeah. coaches know he can pick up a block, mm-hmm. do the right play, you know, leak out, make a catch when he needs to. He, that's just Rajay right now. Yeah, ECU has been spoiled and in a good way with Keaton Mitchell over the last three seasons because he's that home run hitting type back. But even when Rajay was doing this as a freshman, as a newcomer, this was his M.O. He was good in the pass pro. He kind of leaked out, maybe got 15 or 20 yards on a slip screen, but he wasn't that true home run hitter on outside zone or hitting the gap and taking it 75 yards like the way Keaton did. And that's just kind of the new MO of ECU's offense. And that's where Bond will come in as a true home run hitter. But Rajay Harris is going to be your every down back who goes downhill, gets you three or four yards, gets you to second and short, gets you to first down on third and short. And that's what he's going to do. So we were talking about it earlier, and I want to get your take as a former player. So last week, I think it was – or last year, I should say, it was around two-thirds – if not more zone run scheme in the opener, we saw basically 50 50 between zone and, and power slash, you know, gap runs. And I think we talked about in the preseason, maybe the new offensive line coach brings mm-hmm. some of that also new running back personnel, your thoughts on that. And if we, you know, again, my true evaluation starts this week, it's hard yeah. to go out there and, and run power right. versus uh, Michigan and expect a lot of success, but I am interested to see how this looks going forward. I think it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, we were a huge inside zone team last year with Keaton and and those home run hitting backs, and then you had the one-two combination early in the year with him and Rajay. But Coach Moe's traditionally been a power guy. He was that way at USF. He, He believes in the downhill run because that's where the true trench battle is won. And for those of you who don't follow football as much as we do, the trench battle is between offensive line and defensive line and just kind of butting heads at all hours of the day. And the Fall from grace is the best way to put it. Shank believed more in the zone as we got to more explosive running backs because when I first came in, it was a lot of gap in that offense anyway with tight end blocking, with tight end splits. I mean, all these different kind of combinations, so to speak, to get you into these true gap schemes. And it's not like Rajay can't run zone, but I remember in 2020, a lot of his success came off those gap plays, mm-hmm. and that was his big year. So right. I feel like getting back to more of that will lead to, to more you know long-term results for this season. Uh, so interested to keep an eye on that. And again, you know how much were they showing in the opener versus Michigan, who realistically they, the coaches know they're 36-point underdogs. And yeah. these next two games, and obviously Gardner-Webb, are, are the critical games. Uh, Christian Bateman on YouTube says, if Flynn starts getting more snaps, Garcia hits the portal. I don't necessarily agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Garcia's proven he's pretty loyal here. Mm-hmm. And I also think that ECU – and we'll just get into the quarterback conversation right now because we haven't really touched on it yet with you, Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, Coach Houston said after the game, he basically – he doesn't know at this point if it's going to be a two-quarterback year or right. not. And I, I saw some people be like, well, he's the head coach. How does he know? Well, it, it – until you see the guys in game, until somebody go wins a game, like you can't really make that call. And, and I thought Flynn looked more composed at times than Garcia on Saturday. But then once Garcia came back in, obviously had taken a breath, he looked kind of like the guy we thought he look, could look like. So for me, it's about – I think you're going to see two play until one just goes in a game – excels, wins a game, and then he probably becomes the guy. Yeah, and your, takes your thoughts over. as well. I, I agree the same way. Mason's floor is probably about what we would expect Flynn's ceiling to be. And that's no slight on Alex Flynn by any means. He's a great game manager, knows where the ball's supposed to go, knows the read, knows where the running back's supposed to be. He's just in the game at all times. 
Mason Garcia is a true gunslinger, throws it all over the field. And we saw that a little bit more towards the second half when he started to settle in, felt more comfortable, a little more deeper route trees once Michigan had kind of let off the gas and the crazy twists, which you won't get from a lot of these teams because of their talent level. And he looked composed, and he looked like the quarterback we were expecting him to be. Flynn won't separate you from any kind of close game, but he'll keep you in it. Mason's the kind of guy that makes that big play, makes that big throw, makes those big chunk plays. So as you said, I think we see two quarterbacks until they separate, much to how the Holt Nailers-Reed Herring situation kind of went a couple years back where they kind of were feeling it out, like even after Holton had so right. much success. But you have to, especially in a game like that, kind of throw everything at them and see what works. Yeah, and uh, again, I, I think it's just and, – and the more they each play – like if one obviously wins the job and then goes down, you feel that much more confident right. later in the year too if you have to use the second quarterback. So, you know, it's not the end of the world. I know it's not ideal. You want your mm-hmm. set starting quarterback. But I, it, it's not as easy as saying, hey, we've been watching these guys in practice three, four years. I mean, how many true quarterbacks, you know, competitions are won in practice? Usually, even in the NFL, yeah, I don't. you see it in game days mm-hmm. where they separate themselves because you have to handle it. And that unless a guy just dominates practice, goes into the game from day one and dominates there, which is is rare. And they were facing Michigan. So, yeah. like, let's and not overreact. Even Michigan last year didn't name yeah. a starting quarterback through practices. Cade McNamara was the projected starter, and then J.J. McCarthy came in in a game against Hawaii and looked like the guy that they wanted him to be. So even these big perennial programs are naming quarterbacks after games, and it's a Harbaugh way of thinking about it. He called it the preseason with non-conference, but it's not unheard of to not know who your starter is before conference play. Lincoln Riley also once picked Rio Johnson, the starter for Shane Carden. That <laughs> yeah, lasted about two games, and yeah. uh, Shane Carden helped him get to where he is now. So it's an inexact science mm-hmm. is the best way to say it. And, uh, you know, I, at this point, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I think Mason will start again this week. I think Alex will play as well. And the better guy, if he see wins the game, will probably start the next week. So it just depends on uh, how it plays out Saturday. I mean, that's really it's kind of week-to-week right now, I yeah. feel like. Uh, Christian also says he loved the play exchange between Surratt Ware and Michigan's quarterback when he hit him. Yeah, yeah I, I missed that in the box. Was that on TV? Yeah, uh, McCarthy kind of like dapped him up and was like, "That was a good hit." And him and Surratt like kind of had a moment where it was just it really is just football at that point when right. you're between the lines like that. So that was not a cool moment, but it's kind of like a pay respect thing from a lower conference, and I put lower in air quotes. Yeah, I thought Michigan, you know, seemed to handle ECU with respect for the most part, mm-hmm. and you know the fans were the same way with the ECU fans. Speaking of hitting the quarterback, Jack Powers uh, hit the quarterback legally, was illegally penalized in the game for it, and ejected from the game, despite video evidence showing, according to the head NCAA official, that it was not an illegal hit. Yet he was ejected. The good news is Coach Houston confirmed last night that has been overturned, mm-hmm. Joe, and uh, he will not be suspended for the first half if it would have been upheld. Uh, that is, a, that's what would have been a suspension. So he will be back from Marshall. Just another instance of just questionable officiating, man. The J.J. McCarthy touchdown throw, 12 guys on the field. I, the saddest thing is we're missing these on replay. I can understand missing right. them live. How can you look at these things on replay, three, four, five instances, whatever, and continue to screw them up I almost cussed on the air but I, I had mean, to hold myself Steven I don't get it because the problem is is we have technology 
And what I say by that is we now have a board of officials who are sitting in a room in Pittsburgh or in Des Moines, Iowa, or wherever the heck they are putting these guys. <laughs> and just they're like, let's watch every single penalty for this conference and determine if it is correct or not. And they are still getting it wrong. So at this point, don't come out and tell us you got it wrong. Because we know. We you know. correcting it now does absolutely nothing for the game after the fact. It's like when the NCAA takes away wins from 2013. Right. It does nothing, which is its own fight. But ECU versus the refs has long time been something that has clearly been an effect. It was that way in the Tulsa game way back when. I'm still angry about it. It was evident yesterday, Saturday with J.J. McCarthy a whole yard in front of the line where Mike Tirico pointed out and goes, I think this is coming back. And the refs go, no, that's okay. That's a touchdown. So I don't know if it's a vendetta. I don't know if it's a Mike Houston thing because he just kind of gives them a polite piece of his mind on some uh, questionable calls. But ECU versus the refs is more alive than it ever has been. It never fails. Philip, you got something? Well, I was just going to say, you know, it is unfortunate that they came back, but at least now we were going to be without Jack Powers right. for the first half of this next right. game. Right. So if there was going to be a time they were going to, you know, like you said, just after the fact, mm-hmm. admit they were wrong, at least it was when it affects the next game. Coach Houston did say they turned it in. It took like 10 minutes to overturn. <laughs> so like, I don't think they expected it that fast. I guess the guy... The head of officials for NCAA just took one look at it and was like, what are we doing? Yeah, I mean, that was my thing. Is like, what are we doing if everyone in the stadium, even the quarterback they should have shot at McCarthy, mm-hmm. he knew that he was over the line of scrimmage, and then after they upheld it, he was like... Yeah, he's know, like looking around. Like, he's like, did that really just happen? I so got like, away with this? It just, uh, you know, it makes you wonder about the integrity of the, the games, honestly. I mean, because if you're having, you know, one instance, okay... But then to blatantly miss the 12 man on the field, Coach Houston also said Julius Woods' pass interference mm-hmm. was tipped and he was calling for review. That was ignored. So you literally, legitimately had four or five instances where the replay was just ignored. I think it was uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick came out and said that they sent six plays to the NCAA for reviewal. And I think it was four of the six. Uh, I don't know the direct quote. He was like, four of the six were overturned almost right. immediately. So clearly. It's week one for the refs as well, so I don't know how you correct that one, but there's no bigger stage than college football for the ref to kind of be wrong. The bottom line for me is until we can take the human – I mean, and this is kind of messed up to say, but until you can take the human aspect out of officiating and umpiring, right. you're always going to have jaded, influenced officiating because always. at the end of the day, they're humans, they're influenced by – they mm-hmm. know who's supposed to win, they know where they are. And realistically, that's going to impact games. No, it didn't make the difference between ECU winning. Michigan was a better team, but it does influence the overall game. It does. Well, and then one of the things, too, though, look, you know, we mentioned those six plays that were sent in. Officials are humans. They're going to make mistakes. It's the same way of us driving a car, right? We make mistakes. You maybe have never caused a wreck, but you've definitely made a mistake. In the heat of the moment, it is what it is. But if you went back and watched that move you made from a bird's eye view, you would hope that you would at least go, ooh, I messed up. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the Jack Powers incident, the 12 men on the field, the J.J. McCarthy over the line, they had that opportunity, and then they don't get it right. And it's like if us, who have never even been considered to officiate a college football game, can see that, how do these guys who are getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars not see that? It's just disappointing. I'm sick of talking about it, and I'm really sick of talking about how much the refs uh, – 
screw ECU over because we've seen it too many times in every sport. Tulsa 2020, I'll never forget it. Never. All right, let's uh, let's get our second break in. When we come back, we'll continue to dive into the Marshall game. We'll talk more with Joe about the Pirates as well. And speaking of uh, crappiness uh, in, in regards to ECU sports, uh, the worldwide leader in sports has incorrectly uh, labeled where – Saturday's game will be played. We'll tell you. Uh, we'll tell you about that on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back into the program. Tuesday, September 5th. We're going early on the live stream to the Coach Houston press conference at 11:30. We got player interviews after that. I believe we're going to talk to Taylor Jackson, linebacker, as well as why am I blanking on the other ones? Uh, this is great radio. Uh, it'll come <laughs> to me later. Uh, I know we're talking to a few offensive players. Marlon Gunn, we're talking to him as Marlon well. Marlon Gunn and Dustin Hall. Is, okay, now so the USF transfer. Those are go. our three player interviews for today. Put in a request for a couple other guys, but not yet. Uh, not talking to any quarterbacks yet, so I'm trying yeah. though. I understand why they don't want to create a, a lock, you know, any type of locker yeah. room rift. But that's our job. Exactly. That's what we talk about. And uh and, and let's be real, like it's you know, everybody's gonna want to talk about the quarterback situation. Mm-hmm. Even when the, there's a set quarterback, Joe, they want to talk about the backup quarterback. So how many times did we try and switch hold nailers to tight end on Twitter? hundred percent. Right? It's how many we were people, winning games. How many people wanted to bench him for Mason Garcia? Several. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> Even if Garcia or Flynn becomes the guy, there will be a point in this season where we get multiple questions about, hey, let's play the other guy. Right. I mean, that's just how it works. Um, and I understand it. It's the, it's the easiest position on the field to evaluate. There's just a lot that goes into it. All right, by the way, guys, so we got a game this Saturday. Marshall at East Carolina, 4 o'clock, ESPNU. According to ESPN, on ESPN.com, if you go to the little game matchup, the Pirates do have a 55.2% chance to win the game according to ESPN Analytics, whatever that means. Uh, and also, the game will be played in Greenview, North Carolina. I can't say I've ever been to Greenview. I can't wait to visit. <laughs> I guess it's better than Greenville, South Carolina, because it's in the, in the state of North yeah. Carolina. But I can't say that uh, Greenview, North Carolina is on my bucket list. So. They got 75% of it right now. They got the state correct. They got green in the first part. Now it's just view versus Ville. The good news is it looks like uh, AccuWeather uh, says Greenview, North Carolina, will be 86 degrees at kickoff. Uh, cloudy, <laughs> partly cloudy skies. So it'll be a little warm in Greenview, but it should be a nice day for tailgating. Yeah. Um, you'll be on the pregame show. Are you going to try to participate some tailgating? I don't know if that's allowed. Yeah. I have to find out. Maybe I'll get a segment where I can just kind of go find some uh, some characters in the tailgating That's line. What you should do. Get some predictions. Let's get some live reporting from the <laughs> tailgating line. That would honestly be an outstanding segment. Um, so this is a huge game, Joe. I mean, this really is. We, is. we kind of talked about it in the preseason. Realistically, Marshall or uh, Michigan is going to be a, a loss. Mm-hmm. It is. And now you turn to more of a couple of games where it kind of looks like a toss-up game on right. paper. Uh, Marshall, according to Vegas right now, is a three-point favorite. It opened as a uh, pick 'em, went to Marshall's directions. A lot of the money has come in on Marshall, which typically, not to get too much into the betting, usually you want to go with the side that the public is not on. Right. So I think this is uh, maybe a good thing for East Carolina. But the the public right now, heavy on Marshall, 
clearly they don't believe in ECU's two-quarterback system. Uh, but how big is this game Saturday? To me, it, it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the season. It, it does set the tone, and that's a very good way to put it because we saw last year what the Marshall game meant. Or 2021, 21, yeah. my, my apologies. And we saw what that meant and how we kind of bounced back as a program and went on that great that turning run. Point. It really was a turning point. So this is a huge thing for Coach Houston to kind of right the ship is the best way to put it. You, you lost bad double digits on the road in a hostile environment. You have a chance now at your place to defend your home turf, come out, go one and one, and sit yourself in a good situation to finish non-conference strong and set yourself up to run the conference the way you want to. But if you come out and you lay an egg, it is going to be downhill. Yeah, because then your backs are really against the wall Mm -hmm. going into App State on the road. And uh, App playing North Carolina this weekend. They had their issues with Gardner-Webb. Gardner-Webb, by the way, no cupcake either. No. They are very legitimate. uh, And it could come at a daddy fake on a win if the Pirates can't figure out this offense. So there's a, uh, you know... I would say a sense of urgency right now. There's got to be, and there always is in college football once the season gets started. But I think now, especially, I'm not going to say it's a must win. Uh, you might you might term it as a must win, but I feel like this is a, a game that is it's just going to flip ECU season potentially one way or the other. And the other factor for me is I know Marshall. I know they struggled against Albany. I expect a much better performance. And the players who were on the 21 team, mm-hmm. they're not going to forget choking that one away. So I think they're going to come in extremely motivated. I think they're extremely motivated for sure. I also think that that team from 21 had so many different pieces that kind of moved on. So this is a new team, a fresh team that isn't thinking about that, but also understands the close battles with ECU in the past. I expect for East Carolina to roll out the two-quarterback system. My take has always been if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. That's how I was brought up. That's how I was raised. And Houston will tell you there's no such thing as a must-win, but I agree. No longer on the player side. This is a must-win for East Carolina to kind of set things off and put them in motion for what they want to do. It'll be interesting to see how the one week of preparation kind of affects it because you've been going through Michigan prep now for almost a month and a half. Can those guys kind of snap back into the true routine? These older guys kind of reset themselves in a week-long process as opposed to trying to, okay, we got next week to figure this out because you don't. Game day Saturday. Yeah, got to get it done quickly today. As you know, Tuesday, big prep day, as is Wednesday. Got to get the work done <laughs> right away. Uh, one more thing, we'll take a break, our last break. Trent Holler, the return of Trent Holler to Daddy Ficklin Stadium. I believe he was in – late in that game mm-hmm. in 21 when East Carolina, for the Pirates, uh, scored the go-ahead touchdown. So he has been a part of this rivalry, you know, transferred out for, you know, several different reasons uh, we, we can or won't get into probably. But uh, now at Marshall, now they're starting center, so I'm sure he'll be fired up for, for Saturday. He has been texting me <laughs> nonstop. I uh, texted him after the game against Albany. I was like, good win. Like, saw some of it. And he played great. You heard from the beat reporter say that. He has been texting me nonstop about wanting to play the Pirates. So it'll be exciting He's to see up. how he kind of adjusts now. He, he had a chance to go against some of these guys when they were younger, when they came in with that 2020 class, but now these are grown men up front. What are the odds that uh, Trent Holler's tuned in right now? I don't know. 50, you watching 50? Trent? <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, we'll find out. Maybe we'll get Trent on the show <laughs> later this week. But no, nah, he was an awesome dude to talk to him recruiting. Uh, when, when he was getting recruited – 
once he came to ECU. So yeah, looking forward to seeing Trent's return. Incredible character. Yeah, he's. Uh, it'll be good. Deontay <laughs> Johnson versus Trent Holler. Mark that one on your uh, your stat sheet. That'll be a good matchup. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show. We also got to correct. I almost forgot. We got to correct an error that we made yesterday. Uh, you want to make that now or? Well, we'll do it on the other side. Uh, you're listening to Hoist the Colors 94.3 The Game. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back into the show. Wrapping up here on this Tuesday. Uh, we are live streaming in the morning. We're live uh, on uh, YouTube, Facebook. Joe Sampson, Philip Pilkington. Behind the glass, Joe Sampson next to me in studio, and we are live streaming because we got the press conference at 11.30. We, of course, are still at the uh, the 12 o'clock hour on radio. Christian Bateman on YouTube says uh, he wanted to point out Jalen Johnson had a massive hit on special teams. Yeah, we did talk about that. Uh, Philip gave him a shout-out, by the way, for that hit as well but uh we did want to we did want to make a small correction uh we said jalen johnson dropped a slot fade i believe that was a a fade from alex flynn to jari patterson on a third down that went through his hands so yeah and i wouldn't say we said that i I will take the blame i apologize to jalen uh my little defense is going to be i listen to the plays and then i see two plays later because i'm having to stream on stupid peacock yeah some big time conference they've got when they've got to do these games on peacock but i'm obviously listening to zoki on the radio being back in the studio but still not a good mistake i apologize to jalen so uh I will not make that next week. You better be careful. He's going to hit you like he hit that guy on special teams. Hey, he had two. He had one big hit, but he had two good open field tackles. He did. Yeah, yeah he's that's what he did at Georgia. Like that's his mo. Like yeah. he is a true gunner. Like he just hits people. Yeah, and we're sorry, Jalen. Jalen, if you are listening, we uh, we respect your skills, and we we will be better going forward. Uh, speaking of Jalen and the receivers, I think that's a big key for me. As we you know got about a minute left here. For Saturday, Joe is got to start making contested catches, making right. some of those big catches to help out the quarterbacks. These these are receivers that we've now seen in the program for a while who need to separate themselves. Obviously, Jalen had a little less of a role last year with Isaiah Winstead playing on the outside. But if you want to establish yourself as the number one option, you need to go up and make contested catches. We saw Shane Calhoun try to do that on that first third down. A little difficult for him to kind of go get that ball. Might have been a little underthrown. Kind of want a level two ball, which means right on the back hip towards the seam in between the safety and the linebackers uh, to give him a chance to run. And that's been kind of the problem with ECU for the last, well, I guess two weeks now because we saw some of it with the practice stuff is they haven't been able to go make contested catches, whether it was a scout team DB or the first team DB. They just need to kind of get out of their own heads and pull the ball down. A lot of moving parts with the offense, quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, tight ends, offensive line. You can point to several things they got to mm-hmm. be better at to be uh, to be able to win this game Saturday. Well, Joe, we appreciate the time on today's program. We'll have you back Friday. We'll we'll get more into how crappy our picks are then. But hey, if you start <laughs> low, then you can only go up from there. That's what they say. The only way to go from rock bottom is up. That's true, and that's what we're trying to do. Uh, Philip Pilkington. I don't know about we, man. I, I went five hundred. I went three and three. I don't know who this we is. I, I did okay. Congrats to your Duke Blue Devils. It's under further review. I, I yeah. missed that one, actually. Yeah, I think we all whiffed on that one. We'll, we'll get more into that Friday. We'll have Joe and Phillip back. We'll do our picks. We'll also pick NFL for the first time, which could be an outright disaster. Uh, <laughs> Hammer the Jets. You think we're bad at college. Wait till we start picking NFL. <laughs> all right, this has been fun. We'll have Bobby Harward on the program tomorrow, former ECU assistant coach, to preview Marshall and recap Michigan as well. 
You've been listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game.